Legend, history, memory. Stories form the fabric of life itself. We pull threads to make sense of our perceptions. I'm Tristan Crocker. This is That's Telling. Episode 4, MK Ultra. What you're hearing is the music of the carillon at St. George's Anglican Church in downtown Guelph. Carillons are a rare and peculiar instrument a large metal framework of bells, ranging in size from average to gigantic. They're played by striking the keys of a keyboard, called batons, wooden pegs laid out in octaves and struck with a closed fist. Another carillon is that of St. Joseph's Oratory of Mount Royal in Montreal. Montreal has so many bells, Mark Twain called it the City of a Hundred Bell Towers saying, you couldn't throw a brick without breaking a church window. Undoubtedly, the sound of those bells would have drifted through the doors and windows of neighboring buildings. A large and intimidating neighbor to the bell towers was and is an impressive and ornate mansion in the Golden Square Mile neighborhood of Montreal. The face of the structure, once known only as Raven's Crag, looks down on city dwellers from behind its iron gate, and harbors darker secrets than any domestic dwelling can contain. Today you'll hear the story of the house after its ornate halls and drawing rooms were removed, and in their place were put the uninviting and abusive psychiatric facilities of Dr. Donald Ewan Cameron, working for the CIA under the project name M.K. Ultra. In 1940, the mansion Ravenscrag, built by 19th century Scottish businessman Sir Hugh Allen, became the Allen Memorial Institute. Its first director was a person by the name of Donald Ewan Cameron, a Scottish psychiatrist who had been working in the States prior to accepting his new position. My name is Julie Vanderpair. I graduated from McGill in 2016, and I'm currently working at a French magazine in New York. Julie wrote an article in her time at McGill for the McGill Tribune entitled Declassified Mind Control at McGill. It provides a very comprehensive overview, and I recommend reading it. So Cameron was um, a researcher at the Allen Memorial Institute. He was transferred there um, from 
Albany. Um, at that time, the Allen Memorial Institute was a relatively new institution, and it was housed within the Royal Victoria Hospital. The work that, that he began to do there, there's a lot of sort of uh, mystery and um, kind of conspiracy surrounding what was happening there exactly. But in essence, what his research was really focusing on was determining the root causes of mental illness. Cameron believed in a process he developed and which he called de-patterning. which basically would be um, breaking down these sorts of what he saw as unhealthy social behaviors in patients, and then basically reprogramming people to have what he viewed as healthy patterns of behavior. The idea was that that would cure their mental illnesses. Depatterning was an extremely unethical process, practiced without the consent of his patients. It consisted of electroshock therapy, which was something that was in practice and being used in the 1950s to cure depression and, and for, for other issues. But the way that Cameron used it was extremely invasive, like up to four sessions of electroshock per day which is a lot. This abuse resulted in terrible repercussions for the people on whom it was practiced. Resulted in incontinence. They basically were just kind of turned into vegetables after this whole process. But that was what Cameron wanted in order to be able to Repattern normal, uh, you know, social behaviors. He thought that you kind of had to break people down to this sort of childlike state. So once the depatterning was over, once that process was finished, what Cameron would do was this other practice called psychic driving, which basically was repeated audio messages that patients would have to listen to sort of on a loop over and over and over again. This method is reminiscent of more recent methods of torture we've heard about from places like Guantanamo Bay. So it, it actually is something that has been used in torture um, and to get people um, to make confessions. So that's kind of where this whole link with the CIA and Project MK Ultra comes in, because you can kind of start to see why the CIA might be interested in Cameron's work. This was all happening right after the Korean War. Returning American soldiers had been the victims of torture, forced into making concessions. 
they would repeat the propaganda of their captors, convincing American authorities that some thorough and inscrutable form of brainwashing had been developed. The CIA wanted to understand and utilize the methods that had been used, as well as any other form of bending an individual's thought to their will. And what they were looking into was, one, what they kind of dubbed, or what MKUltra is known for, which is mind control, but which I think there's a very fuzzy line between that and torture, to be very honest with you. They were kind of really just looking for something that they could um, potentially use in interrogations that would um, make people tell the truth. So at first, there was talk of some sort of truth serum that they could administer to people um, and that would have them, you know, disclose information. In a series of different experiments unrelated to Cameron, they started experimenting with LSD and different types of drugs, um, but that didn't really work. And so they came across Cameron's research and I guess became pretty interested in what he was doing. And that's sort of where the link with uh, the CIA comes into things. In order to sort of get the patients into a state where they would actually be able to be, you know, sedated enough to endure that and sit through the repeated, um, the, the loops of recorded messages, they were administered barbiturates and what I have in my article is muscular paralytic drugs. The brutal series of electroshock treatments physically affected patients, a common side effect being incontinence. It also caused inconceivable mental degradation, particularly memory loss. One woman who was subject to Dr. Cameron's testing reported seeing photos of a vacation she took after being his patient and not remembering it whatsoever. Yeah, forgetting that they had a spouse, forgetting losing a second language. That was all reported. Anyone who endured these methods for any amount of time in their stay was in all likelihood left with only a troubling and scattershot impression of their experience. Just the fact of having like stayed um, sort of in that state and in the hospital for so long, people were probably pretty, you know, disoriented and confused. Maybe if it wasn't a permanent sort of memory loss, it was probably just a result of the sort of trauma that they had been through, the immediate trauma that they had been through. Officially, the Allen Memorial Institute was a part of the Royal Victoria Hospital and housed in the psychiatric department. And it was affiliated with McGill University. So these would be typically people with mental illnesses um, who would have checked into Royal Victoria Hospital, and then they would be taken care of at the Allen Memorial Institute. But also the, the kind of troubling thing about it was several patients, I believe, were children at the time that this happened. So, I mean, I guess you can imagine that the, the sort of effects of all of this really invasive treatment would be potentially even more sort of devastating on them as kids as opposed to adults.
As Julie tells me, the standards for research in the 1950s were not nearly so strict as they are today. This made it much easier to experiment on human subjects without adherence to regulation. But that being said, I think even for the time that it was happening, it was still really, really outside of the norm. What I wrote in my article and what I think is probably true is that Cameron must have been pretty well aware of the fact that he was doing a lot of, you know, unethical things at the time. He actually attended the, the Nuremberg trials after World War II, which was uh, trying German doctors for war crimes that they committed in concentration camps. Cameron, you know, denounced um, all of these uh, sort of atrocities that the German doctors committed. Cameron supported what was called the Nuremberg Code, and which set very specific medical rules about what was allowed involving human subjects. So he must have been, you know, pretty well aware of, of what he was doing wrong, but I think that it was potentially just a lot easier back then to get away with it than it is now. of their lives were damaged by the CIA tell their stories publicly for the first time. They believe they were part of a CIA project called MKUltra. The CIA was seeking a new weapon aimed not at the body but at the mind. Several people have um, come forward. I think a lot came forward beginning in the 90s, 80s and 90s. And they were compensated by the Canadian government for what happened to them. They reported just significant psychological trauma. It was just really... Um, Devastating, I think, psychologically, physically, what happened to them. Even the, the financial compensation that they received from the Canadian government, I don't think could necessarily undo sort of the, yeah, the trauma that they experienced. It was, and is, difficult to trace a direct and incriminating link between this project and the Central Intelligence Agency especially since a lot of the files about the, about the project were destroyed um, or just could never be uncovered. There was a Senate hearing where a lot of information kind of came out where they also interviewed former CIA employees. So that was where I got a lot of the information for my article and where I think the most accurate information is. But in terms of... Um, the link between the CIA and professors, especially in Canada, it's kind of difficult to draw a very direct link, especially in terms of funding, which is what I found. I mean, I was trying to look and find um, any sorts of like financial documents that could prove that direct 
link where the CIA was actually funding these experiments. The best thing that I could find was um, evidence that the CIA set up these kinds of fronts, fake, basically which were fake research funds that they would put money into, and then that money would be used by the researchers at the universities. Proving that is, is really difficult if you don't actually have the, the documents from the time. So it is a bit of speculation. That being said, I think the testimonies from the Senate hearings are pretty, I mean, I, I think that after reading those, it's clear that, you know, something happened, but it's true that the details are pretty murky. One thing though is, so they wouldn't have been exclusively funded by the CIA. Um, there was also involvement, I think, by the Canadian government, um, which was why coming, I mean, starting in the 90s, the government started to compensate people for um, what they went through. And you can actually find those documents and evidence of that on the uh, Canadian Justice Department's website. It's a very murky story, and there is a lot of a kind of conspiracies surrounding it. I mean, when you mention MK Ultra, people think of like, um, you know, that scene in Stranger Things <laughs> where they're in the like psych ward. Um, and, and I don't necessarily think it would have played out quite like that. Ten years ago, a woman named Janine Hoard came forward seeking compensation for her involvement as a patient of MK Ultra in Montreal. She entered the psychiatric ward for treatment of postpartum depression, subjected to electroshock, and as she told the media in 2007, up to 40 pills a day. Dr. Donald Ewan Cameron died of a heart attack while hiking in New York State in 1967 at the age of 65. The Allen Memorial Institute still houses the psychiatry department of the Royal Victoria Hospital in Montreal. That's Telling is created by Tristan Crocker. That's me. All of the music heard throughout the show is by Paul Crocker. I would like to thank my guest, Julie Vanderpair, for joining me to tell this story. If you live in or around the Guelph, Ontario area, That's Telling can be heard every Wednesday at 2 on CFRU 93.3 FM and streamed live at CFRU.ca. Next time, I'll be looking at how one person's trash can be another's treasure, and then maybe someone else's trash again, and so on. It was one of those green jackets from the uh, Augusta National Golf Club, and those are pretty rare. Um, They're a collector item. They're pretty valuable, but this one was marked for $5.